This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell, and together we will be your hosts. The Good Judgment Podcast is designed for judges, lawyers, and others who are interested in judges and the law and procedure that occurs in a courtroom. Now, our focus is on Georgia law and Georgia judges. We normally address issues dealing with substantive law and procedure, but occasionally we have some other topics that we think might be of interest for judges to consider. For those who have been listening to our podcast, we want to thank you and hope that you'll tell somebody else. And don't forget, folks, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the web at goodjudgepod.com. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. This is Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And we are in the middle of a series that we, the first time we've tried a series, Tane, on how to try a criminal case. We hope it's going well for everybody. But I think it's going super well, Wade. Oh, good. I'm glad you do. Your vote counts. Uh, from beginning to end, and this is subsection six, we have now concluded the evidence. The evidence has concluded. Both parties have rested to the extent the defense presented any evidence. We're done, right, Wade? No, this is when the hardest part starts for us. You know, the thing about trials is that trial judges, they have to work hard in the beginning. They kind of go to an, a, a secondary point, and then they have to work hard at the end. And now we need to have a charge conference make sure the defendant is present and make sure I try my best to, to put on the record. All right, we're back on the record. The defendant is present. The state's present. The council's president, et cetera. And so president, we, president, sorry. Did I say president? I apologize. Present. And so do that here. And the jury's out obviously. And you put this charge conference on the record earlier. We were talking about doing written jury charges I do them, and so what I do is I take that document that was my basic charge, all of the state's charges, all the defense charges, I slap a sticker on it, and I give it to the court reporter, and I call that court's exhibit number one. And then I give the same document to the state, to the defense, and I have one. And however you do it, from my perspective, it is important that that be included as a part of the record. Whatever whatever the parties were going over, um, I, I think it's important. And so, because here's what I do now, I can go, anybody have an objection to page one, page two, page three, instead of charge by charge and the little number so that somebody maybe might extrapolate on appeal what, what it is we were looking at. I actually go through page, 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 page. And that way we can move faster and then get to the ones they need to argue about or wave or whatever. So we do that in a, ahead of time. Now let's talk for a few minutes about lesser included offenses. Well, before we go there, Wade, okay. let me say one other thing about that. Preparation is key with respect to having a brief, clear, and successful charge conference. Um, and, and what that means is from day one of the trial, somebody, whether it's you or your staff attorney or whoever normally does those things, is reviewing the written charges that are submitted to the court by the parties, putting them in a logical order and getting them ready for the parties to go over during the charge conference. Something that I said in a previous podcast that one of, that my staff attorney does for us that I think is very helpful is he just makes a notation at the top of the page if, let's say, state's charge number one is the identification charge. If defense has also asked for that charge, he just puts defense charge number 17. That lets us know that both sides have asked for that charge, and there's really no reason to discuss it. If it's a pattern charge, we can just say, I'm going to give that charge because both of the parties have asked for it and it applies. 
So now let's talk about lesser included offenses because some of us get very concerned because we know that we are required to charge the sole defense. We know that we are required to give a lesser included charge if there is evidence to support it. And that is big. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And it says evidence, however slight, is there to support it. But if there is none, if there is not a scintilla of evidence, then you do not have to give a lesser included charge. There are times that it is murder or self-defense, not guilty. That it's not always simple battery. That just because they request it doesn't automatically make it a thing. Just because they request it doesn't make it a lesser included offense. For example, if, if somebody tried to get a simple battery on a burglary, that's not a lesser included offense. That's a whole nother family of offenses. So yes, you should primarily give the lesser included offenses. However, make sure that they're actually less included, lesser included, and there's some evidence, however slight, to support it. And here's how you handle that mechanically. Again, this doesn't all have to be on you as the judge. You say to the party, you've asked for this lesser included offense. Remind me what the evidence is that's been presented in this case that supports that lesser included. That's a great idea because it puts the, uh, the the obligation back on the party suggesting it. Now, let's talk real quick about edge versus state. You hear us talk about this. This is a case from where there, if there's a charge of murder and there was a request for voluntary manslaughter, what you can't do is tell the jury to first consider murder and then consider voluntary manslaughter. If it is at all se- sequential, you can, you're going to get reversed. You, you need to avoid words like then, after. Don't make it sequential. And, and there are a billion cases on this, included those that are in this outline that are in the end notes to this outline. And so you can find the, those cases. If you have a case where you have voluntary as a lesser included of murder, no, just jump in your head, edge. Put it, make, make do something where edge jumps to your forefront, and you'll make sure that it's not sequential. So it's right on the edge of your memory while you're thinking about that. Yes, I'm good at mnemonics. That's what I do. Um, if you have a charge of aggravated assault, you know the aggravated assault can be can can be completed in about a hundred different ways. If the indictment alleges he, that the defendant committed aggravated assault by shooting him then you have to charge it by shooting him. The pattern charge is not a pattern charge. The pattern charge is the way that you can commit aggravated assault by pointing a weapon at someone. So if you give only that charge, you have potentially committed reversible error. And you know how closely jurors are just in rapt attention during your charges, (laughs) and they couldn't care less. They don't even understand what you're talking about. But if you give that charge of an aggravated assault in a manner that it was not alleged in the indictment and you leave it there, you have a potential problem. So just understand that these are just a couple of issues that come up in charge conferences. If you have multiple defendants with multiple charges, make sure the jury knows they need to consider each charge as to each defendant each time. But these are just some things that come up on a 
on a somewhat regular basis. And, and it's not just with aggravated assault. I mean, understand that. You need to make sure that if somebody asks for a pattern charge and it includes multiple ways in which a particular offense can be committed, that you are only charging it in the way that the indictment alleges it. Because including those other ways in which the crime could have been um, charged uh, could be error in a particular case. You'll see as you go through that we have things on limiting instructions and how you have to charge on the sole defense and under what facts you must charge justification. This is one that's always been sort of fascinating to me. Good character is not a defense. It is an issue that the jury may consider along with all other evidence in deciding the guilt of the defendant, but it's not a defense. So when people say, judge, it's my sole defense. No, good character is not a defense. And then charges on self-defense and voluntary manslaughter are not mutually exclusive. There'll be people that'll argue that to you, that you can't be defending yourself legitimately and incited by irresistible passion. Yeah, the law says that is, and that is that you've got to argue it to the jury, but yeah, you can we talked about the verdict form. Do you want to talk for a minute about how to avoid that sequential charge thing yes. in the verdict form? Yeah. Well, first of all, as we've said previously, preparation of a very logical, simple verdict form, I think is key to making sure that you don't cause problems with a jury when it's rendering a verdict form. I think the simplest form is the best. The form I most most often use is a form where the, the jurors check a box next to or a blank next to whatever their verdict is for each count. And if there are lesser included offenses, the way that mine is normally worded is uh, first choice with a blank next to it. We, the jury, uh, find uh, the defendant committed the offense of aggravated assault as alleged in count one of the indictment. Or, in big letters, the defendant committed the offense of, of simple assault. Uh, or, the defendant, uh, we, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. Okay. Or, or, or. There's nothing sequential. I mean, you have to put something first. You have to put something second. You have to put something third. But there's nothing in that order that says you must consider this, then this, then this. The cases have said you've got to put something first and something second. That does not make it sequential. What makes it consensual is con- sequential. Sorry, sequential is the words like then. Right. If you do not find this, then go to the lesser included offense up. And I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll tell you something. There is a pattern charge that deals with lesser included offenses. And it's just the one that tells you how to charge the jury. I never use that charge. It's no offense to the pattern jury charge committee. I think the way that it is worded is so confusing that I simply tell them, ladies and gentlemen, there's a verdict form, you know, to re- on which you should reflect your unanimous verdict. It gives you choices about each, you know, each uh, count and how you could the verdicts you could find in each of those counts. Please check one and only one box for each count. Don't forget not guilty. There, there's yeah. a point. There's a point where some people have actually said murder or voluntary manslaughter. Yeah, or not guilty. Well, and and this is important, folks. You should go over the verdict form with counsel on the record, even if it's a form that you've created. Because, as I said previously, lawyers frequently don't give us 
proposed verdict forms. I don't know what it is about them, but they don't like to craft those. So we usually end up doing it, but you still need to go over it with them on the record. So we have a whole section here on things that are allowed in closing arguments and things that are not allowed in closing arguments. You, you have to give these lawyers a lot of leeway to sort of touch base with all of the different points that have been raised during the trial. Um, probably the most restrictions in closing argument would be on the prosecutors because they're, they're, there's unfortunately a tendency to sometimes put personal opinions or future dangerousness and things like that in there. So just just understand that that we have a chart for you of things that are always allowed in closing arguments and things that are not allowed in closing arguments in our outline. A couple of quick couple of quick final things too. Uh, always send the indictment out with the jury in criminal cases. Uh, that's a requirement. Um, if you're going to uh, send a ver- or use a verdict form, be sure and send that out to the jury as well. Wade, you always like to get make sure they have a pen to sign the verdict form with, so that uh, they're not signing it in the pencils that are usually provided that's funny. for them for verdict. I really do. Um, and and you know something you just said sparked something else. What if you have a redacted charge, for example? What if you are going to bifurcate the case and the indictment count five, I don't know, mm-hmm. is possession of firearm by a convicted felon? Mm-hmm. And that's and they're not supposed to consider that yet. Mm-hmm. Then you have to you have to send out a redacted indictment. Make sure that it's clean and you're not sending something out that says, hmm, there's a count five and somebody whited this out. I wonder what this is. That's exactly right. Be we we've we've made up what what we call a dummy indictment, which is perfectly allowable under the law. All the parties have to agree that the dummy indictment is what goes out with the jury. And obviously it gets marked as an exhibit and as part of the record um, for then and all time. And folks, that is the conclusion of section six. And we are now ready to charge the jury and let them deliberate. So this is Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Without them, we really could not do this. And thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit some of our stupidity and awkwardness. Hey, but nobody can get it all. That's a good point. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council Superior Court judges who allowed us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court judges across Georgia. And thanks to our NGAO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else with an acronym or alphabet name. Or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have any praise. And contact someone else with any of your complaints. (laughs) But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send those comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcast. Once again, I am Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap this session up? No, let's just turn it over to the studio audience. And the crowd goes wild. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.